of those who labor. Nashville, you're right in Ghost Town. This is Creepy Steve. Hope you're enjoying your Sunday. It's gonna, it's gonna be kind of exciting today in Ghost Town. I got four guests visiting, and uh, they're all out of the UK. It's gonna get a little bit punkier today. I uh, got a little dancier last week. Not a problem. That was pretty fun. All right, I'm gonna get right into it. I'm Creepy Steve. You're listening to WRFN LP Pasquo. It's The Damned. Radio Free Nashville. ago, a landmark gig took place at this famous venue, The Hundred Club in Oxford Street. The lineup included newly formed band The Damned, and just a few months later, they went on to release the very first ever UK punk single, New Rose. It was never us saying, we want to do that before anyone else does. It was more a case of we were ready. Even if it all stopped there, yeah. I would have been like, yeah, did it. The Damned emerged from a close-knit scene of like-minded people when founder member Brian James advertised for a drummer. This guy come down with ginger hair, he said, my name's uh, Chris Miller, and he sat on the drum chair and he, and he attacked the drum kit. He really attacked it, and it was great. Chris rechristened Ratscabies, introduced Brian to former gravedigger Dave Vanian after meeting him at a Sex Pistols gig. I'd be one of these kids who sang at records in his bedroom, and I basically lied. <laughs> You know, I said, I said... Uh, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> See, after all this time, he never knew. I basically lied that I was a singer to, to get the job. They were joined by bassist Ray Burns. 
And he was very quiet in actual fact, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 I think the second gig we did, he invented himself as Captain Sensible. We just clicked. We went on there 100% energy and attitude and confidence. Yeah. And you'd be us against the world, you know. A lot of that scene was really political. Were you guys anarchists? No. Personally speaking, never. No. The only anarchy that I was interested in was on stage, yeah. the music. Where there's no no bars. I love avant-garde jazz, yeah. and I wanted to play rock and roll like that. You know, I wanted freedom. Their single "New Rose" perfectly captured the moment. It's about the, the emerging punk scene, yeah. and finally, the music I wanted to play. I'd met people to do it with, you know, and uh, it was just an exciting time. So an exciting song come out because of it. Music's inspired by its situation. You know, it was, it was a tough time to live, but to be honest, it was a really optimistic time. Creativity was everywhere. Everybody had something to do or say suddenly, and it looked like we'd have a way of doing it.
Neat, neat, neat. That's the 1976 single from The Damned. Also in there, New Rose. These guys formed in England, actually in London in 1976, with lead vocalist Dave Vanian, guitarist Brian James, bassist Captain Sensible, and drummer Rat Scabies. Uh, the first punk rock band from the United Kingdom to release a single, and that was New Rose. In 1976. Pretty darn cool. I'm going to get right into some more interview footage, and I've got some more Damned for you on the way. The Damned's current single, Nina Neat. The Damned were interviewed during the week by John Tobler, and he began for Rock On with the subject of money. How much of this is involved with money? Oh, a lot. A lot. I just want to get rich. So, uh, this is your main motivation? Of course. It's a way of life. You know, money's the end result of it, hopefully. No, the only reason I want to get rich is because I don't want to have to work in an office again or do the, all the bum jobs that I, I had to before I joined the day. Well, is that the same sort of uh, sentiment that you're singing to the kids who can't get any work? Yeah, try and be rock and roll stars. Yeah, you can't do it yourselves. This will make you obsolete very shortly at that rate, won't it, if you want everybody else to be rock stars? No, there's a hell of a lot of rock stars that need replacing. You know, there's only about four bands at the moment that are doing anything about it, really. So they need to have a lot more bands to replace the rest of them. Obviously, the, the Sex Pistols didn't do much to help the new wave. I think they did. Yeah, they gave it a lot of publicity. Yeah, but I mean, they also uh, perhaps gave it publicity which you wouldn't want associated with you. The only bad thing that happened in that respect is the fact that now you've got a lot more ones coming to gigs that think it's hip to throw bottles and things like that. Are your lyrics political? No. Not such, no. Not really. Have you ever thought that you should, in order to be genuine punks, write political lyrics? No, I don't, I don't believe genuine punks are political. Not really in that, in that respect. Well, you want to get better for yourself. There's none to sort of drag all the politics that you read in the papers every day. Mm. You know, into it and that you see on the television every time you turn the TV on. Well, you might have it rammed down your throat. You have it continuously in the papers. The minute you get up, the minute you go to bed, is politics. You know, it's 150 to go and see a band, you don't want them up there ramming it back at you. Still ramming it at you. Everyone knows that this should change because we're in a mess. But Clash aren't even offering a solution. No, I just They're just saying revolt. No. Yeah. What's the yes. point in destroying what you got? It seems that to be a punk, you make your own rules. The first rule is there are no rules. Yeah. <laughs> the second rules, rule is you look after yourself.
say no What's you want me See me after the show I said Well, here I That's The Damned off of their first release, their first full-length LP. Actually, they were the first punk band to release a full-length LP. It was titled Damned, Damned, Damned. And that was uh, one of the singles off of there. Also, uh, Neat, Neat, Neat. As you heard in the last set, I said it was a 1976 single. It was released in 1977 and was featured on Damned, Damned, Damned. And uh, these guys, they played their first show on July 6th in 1976, supporting the Sex Pistols at the 100 Club. Also on that bill were The Clash. Uh, they played the club again in September for the 100 Club Punk Festival and uh, released that Damn 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 initial uh, LP in, in 77. That was in February. And uh, they actually uh, went through some turmoil, said screw it, broke up, and then reformed in 1978. And released their next LP, Machine Gun Etiquette. What do I got next for you here? Oh, yeah. I got a quick uh, little bit from Captain Sensible. I got one more song from Damn Damn Damn, and then I'll get right into Machine Gun Etiquette. You're right in Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. This is Radio Free Nashville, hanging with the damned. It was basically Brian's baby. And um, Rat Scabies went up to uh, answer an audition. Um, and he came back with all his hair chopped off. I mean, I've worked with him at the Fairfield Hall, so I mean, people, people know this story, you know, I was a toilet cleaner, he was a floor cleaner, blah, 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 and um, he came back with all his hair chopped off, and, and he said, and by the way, they're looking for a bass player. And I was in a, a band called Johnny Moped at the time, I was the guitarist, but once I'd met Brian, I, I knew that um, he had this vision. And... Um, so I went with it and I had my hair chopped off and blah, blah, blah. Um, and Dave did as well. So yeah, it was totally Brian's thing. The records, I think, stand the test of time. Um, Machine Gun Etiquette and Damn, Damn, Damned uh, in particular. I mean, I know it's Damn, Damn, Damned. Uh, it's just like an astonishing record that at the start of British punk, uh, there was that, there was, the Clash album and there was um, the Pistols thing 
which which was uh, unfortunately the pistol scene was overproduced and it just sounds so clean and and uh, clinical and damn 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 was just the perfect production because it's so gnarled and so um so scuzzy and there's mistakes on there and like it's just a fucking great punk album it's punk rock in encapsulate if you want to know what punk rock is put that record on um I'm immensely proud of that, and some of the later albums as well, the Black Album and stuff, has got, you know, very, very interesting. I hate blowing the young trumpet and that, but they're good records. Hey, Keith.
would change one person's mind, right, or if what we're doing today changed one person's mind, then we've done, a, done the right thing, you know what I mean? Good day, You've got to do it. You're obligated. It's now become so depressing to live that there has got to be an escape from it. And that is unfortunate. Me included, you know, you, you have a load of drinks and you go down every good and it's like I must forget all these horrible things that are happening outside until tomorrow morning. Unfortunately, you can't go running away forever. Ultimately, it's up to us. But our idea is time. It's time to decide whether we're going to be whether we're going to be part of the problem or the beginning of the solution. Ladies and gentlemen, how do? Big conversation there because I was asking you if it was true that you were once a grave digger. And Which you said, yes. it certainly was uh, for uh, about a year and a half, two years. I did it because it was um, it was in between. It was those times when you're getting a dead end job, if you pardon the pun. And oh, uh, <laughs> I was I was you know just it was a quiet place to think and decide what to do next. Basically, it fitted perfectly. Except I used to sing a lot when I was in there, so I used to disturb people now and again. But no one that was actually sleeping at the time, you know, underground, as it were. Did it ever depress you, or did, was it ever morbid? It's funny, it's, it's not like that, because it's, it's the people that go there to visit are usually quite jolly people, you know. Had a few odd experiences, but nothing, uh, like what you know. Was? Well, the worst one, really, was, um, there was an old guy that used to come to the graveyard often. We used to see him, 
and he died and they had his funeral it was all very sad just a few people and then the week after his funeral we saw him come to the grave and visit what we didn't know is all the time we'd been working they had a twin brother oh <laughs> Oh dear, that shocked me and I didn't even see him. Oh. <laughs> he used to maintain that if you put your um, ear to the grave of his brother, you could hear his pocket watch ticking as well. Very strange. Did it put you off being buried? I mean, did it sort of make you think that you'd like to be cremated? No, not really. It didn't put me off. That's quite... It was, it was okay. It was a good job at the time. As you were saying before, though, that you'd like to have a... What was it, a memorial stone? Yeah, it? I'd like to have a memorial stone where you could, you know, put a few... I don't know, put five pence in or something and see a video playback of the of the band or something. It'd be great. You know, this is how we were when we were alive, folks. And, uh, could you imagine damned records blaring out over the... Oh, I could, actually. <laughs> That'd be great. Wake a few people up. So what sort of things were you thinking about? Because you said it gave you time to think and plan on what you wanted to do. What were you thinking of? Well, it was just, a, you know, what was next. And what was next was starting the band, basically, and getting in the group. And it gave me a lot of time to... Because I could do the work early in the morning, knock off, and get into London and do... Because it was outside of London, about 40 miles out. And, uh, and uh, meet people and stuff. It worked very well. So when was this? What year were you grave digging? Uh, this must have been 75. And the Downs got together in 77? 76. 76. Yeah.
Smash It Up. That's parts one and two from their album Machine Gun Etiquette. It's The Damned right in Ghost Town. Before that, you heard Love Song also off Machine Gun Etiquette and starting off the set off of Damn, 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 I Feel Alright. That's a Stooges cover. 1970 was the name of their track. I Feel Alright is what the Damned renamed it to try and make it somewhat their own, I suppose. Um, I'm going to stop there with The Damned, although they went on to, to produce some great records in the 80s um, and, and definitely took a more gothic turn. Um, and I should also... Uh, well, I mean, you know, that's that's really it. I, well, I should acknowledge they had a an album that I didn't acknowledge before, a second album after Damn, 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 um, produced by Nick Mason. And, um, oh gosh, no, I'm... Uh, Music for Pleasure. <laughs> I was thinking Music for the Masses, but no, that's Depeche Mode. That was last week. This is Music for Pleasure. Uh, not a very uh, successful record as far as uh, critical claims and uh, sales. Um, it was kind of a stale sophomore release. But they, uh, they, after some frustration, they reformed and released Machine Gun Etiquette, totally reinvented themselves. That was in 78. and went on to some, uh, some gothic rock in the 80s and definitely influenced uh, the West Coast uh, hardcore scene in uh touring the u.s they were they were a front runner for punk rock absolutely the pistols uh are more uh recognized i guess but the the dan released that first single single they released the first full-length lp of any punk rock band they were at the first show at the hundred club the big one and they were the first to tour the u.s also so hats off to the damned all right getting right into this next group formed in uh, 1977 consisting of singer malcolm owen guitarist paul fox Bass player Seggs and drummer Dave Ruffy, or just Ruffy, uh, active in the anti-racist causes as part of the Misty in Roots People Unite Collective, based in South Hall, West London, and uh, they played several benefits for Rock Against Racism. All right, going to get into a little interview clip here, and then you're going to know who it is. You're right in Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. You're listening to Radio Free Nashville. tell you what i goofed so i'm gonna just correct myself i thought i had an interview clip to play first but no i don't this is the 1979 single i'm gonna go ahead and introduce them now folks it's the ruts
ruts and in a rut. With us are Ruffy and Segs from the band. So, dear old John Peel, bless him, the long, you know, departed John, did his magic on that one when he heard that. He did. A, a great friend of ours, Bob Johnson, who was, uh, you may remember, Anchor Records, and he used to be, and Transatlantic, he used to go round the van and deliver records and... A friend of ours, Simon Potts, was a plugger at BBC. We made the inner rut, I think, 78, and then we couldn't afford to get it out until our manager at the time sold some jewellery to get it kind of pressed up. And then one of them got slipped under Simon Potts's pile and he slipped it to John Peel. And I remember that John Peel saying, you know, I should listen to what people are saying because people have been asking me to play the ruts for six months and I haven't, but now I have. And he kind of fell in love with that record, so... It was a fantastic moment for us. Really. He went from being a kind of wannabe to a... I mean, he didn't make any financial difference, but, called, but to be on the John Beale show was just the best, you know. And he, he really liked us, and we did four sessions for him over the next year or so, and it was brilliant. It really transformed us, you know. record called New Rose, and that's chosen by one of my guests from the Ruts, uh, Dave Ruffy, the drummer. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Johnny. And also with us is Sakes Jennings. Hello, Johnny. How are you, Sakes? I'm kind of quite enamoured to be here in the radio with you, Johnny, after <laughs> listening to you since 1967 or something. You don't look that old. <laughs> Not are you. Yeah. So, Ruffy, uh, yeah. do you remember when you first heard that damn record? 
I do, yeah. I think the first sort of punk band that hit me was probably the Ramones, but the Dan were the first British band to have a single out. And I worked in a record shop at the time, and we didn't do singles because they weren't cool. With punk rock, we did, and uh, I remember it well. And that's when I first met Segs. Yeah, yeah, because I was uh, I was working for uh, the GPO International Telephones up at St Paul. So my uh, lunch times were really taken up walking around all these record shops. It used to be a record shop called uh, a chain called Harlequin. You'd walk around there, go in the basement, try and find singles and funky imports and Ruffy had the cheapest uh, stuff and we got to be friends and then punk kind of happened and I walked in one day and he had a homemade Ramones t-shirt and he said have you heard this and he put it on and we went right that's it and everything's changed from then really. In 1979 after a chance meeting with the damned drummer Rat Scabies the Ruts toured the UK as the damned supporting act and a bootleg of their November 3rd slot at what was it? Strathclyde University? Yeah. Includes a rendition of the Dam's love song, as well as a cover version of the rock and roll standard Blue Suede Shoes. And the Damned also played live covers of In a Rut during this period as evidenced on The Noise, the best of the Damned live album. So kind of cool. That ties in uh, these guys and the first uh, the first visitors of the Damned. Very appropriate. I try to keep it appropriate, you know? Family-friendly, appropriate. Maybe not family-friendly. That was a little much. But appropriate as far as chronology tie-ins connections all that good stuff all right you're here you're listening to uh, songs off of the crack album it's the ruts and ghost town i'm creepy steve Same friends, but I was already doing music. Segs had never been in a band, but what we, when the ruts started, for about two weeks, I was the bass player in the way that punk rock, well, you can do whatever you want. 
and I could play a couple of notes on the guitar. So I was, but I already I had already played drums. I could already play. I've been playing for a few years. So uh, I went back on the drums, and we needed a bass player. So I just thought he'd be a good choice because I knew he had some good moves. I knew he had an acoustic guitar. You so, said you got to get your hair cut because I had long yeah. hair, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't matter about musicianship as long as you had the good moves. Well, it did. It did matter, but I knew that he because I knew that he was he liked funk music and he had some he liked, he liked music but you've got to remember it wasn't about musicianship it was really about attitude I mean the first recording ever Ruffy played bass on Phil Lynott's that mirror bass he lent him the bass and he had all stickers up the neck like with the, with the notes on it but that's what it was about then you know it was about yeah you know we can do this you know it sort of actually goes way back to the early days the 50s of skiffle of sort of homemade instruments yeah. and you didn't yeah. you know anybody can be in a band well, absolutely. I think I think with with skiffle and with punk, they're kind of roots music. They're, they're music that brings you back to the people. You say the same about reggae and rockabilly, and you know I think that's what it what it is. I still like roots music. Is one of my roots are rebel music. That's what we call it to this day. But I mean, good job they didn't pass me the teacher space. <laughs> <laughs>
something that I said off the crack. That's the Ruts hanging out in Ghost Town with me, Creepy Steve. These are my friends. I know these people. They're my friends. That's right. Don't argue. Uh, you're listening to a few songs here off the crack. The Ruts debut album, which they actually released in uh, September of 1979, and it reached number 16 in the UK albums chart. Produced uh, something that I said, one of the singles, and also uh, Babylon's Burning. And you also heard Dope for Guns in there off the crack. And at the top of the set, the 1979 non-album single that kicked it all off for these boys, In a Rut. Says it all. The Ruts. In a Rut. There's a theme going here, people. Get into it. Or get off the train. Now you can hang out. All right. We got plenty of cocktails for you. And all kinds of exotic music. I'm going to keep going. Um, A short interview here clip with uh, The Ruts and... Couldn't get any footage of Malcolm. Uh, he did pass away. You'll find out in the future. I didn't want to spoil anything. Um, heroin overdose situation. Ugh. The Ruts. I mean, such a flash in the pan, but man, what an impact. I mean, they influenced the the, the DC punk scene. Um, and just just music to come after uh, after their short tenure. Um, they, they ceased in 1980 and uh, kicked it off in 1979. So... Yep, that's a short run, but man, they were mighty. All right, going to keep it going, blah, 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 Creepy Steve. You're listening to Radio Free Nashville, right in Ghost Town with the Ruts. You'd signed a deal to Virgin, which is sort of a bit corporate, wasn't it? Yeah, well, the truth be told, Segs and I, we because we, I was in the industry, and I could see the industry slowing down a bit then, and I thought, this indie malarkey looks all right. You get much better money for this, and... Me and him thought we'd be a much better idea, but the other two really wanted to be kind of pop stars more, and they wanted to sign the deal. So we did sign a terrible deal. I think they probably still believe that, you know, it'd be endless limos and whatever. <laughs> so, OK, worst, best and worst gig? The best and worst was at the Nashville where, uh, yeah, we had kind of pitched battles. It, it, we got a book out, you know, uh, Love in Vain, and it starts off with that. There were loads of factions of various crews from southwest London coming to take another cruise, and it was really violent, so very bad. But musically, very, very good. I think Jake turns. I mean, we've been on tour with Jake. He was actually at the back. Someone took a shine to him, one of the skidders, and said, look, if you just stand at one side, you won't get hurt. And he said, I did, and I didn't, you know, so... Uh, but, I mean, that was... It was kind of crazy out there, because there was all these different tribal factions, really, weren't there, roughly? There were, know? but it's... it's. I mean, it's different now. It's calmed down. Because the energy... It was good energy, and people jumping around having a really good time, but sometimes, with, with negative influences in the room, it could turn very sour. Cure record, I think, Seg. So yeah. Sex Pistols, Anarchy in the UK. Why not? That was uh, very special to me and Ruffy because, uh, again, we were in the shop, just learnt all the lyrics and used to go along in the car singing it, you know, like fans we are. <laughs>
WRFN LP Pasquo. So there's always that great affinity between punk rock and reggae. And you yeah. got very friendly with a reggae band. And there was always that reggae influence on, on the roots. But that was Misty and Roots. Uh, and that was an interesting story in itself. Because uh, Malcolm used to live in Hayes. Paul used to live over that way as well. And people used to just come in and out of the house. And Clarence Baker, who's black, uh, Chris Bolton, who was white, started this thing called People Unite, which was Misty and Roots' label. And um, they released in a rut which I still think very proud of and very cool thing to do. Long before Rock Against Faces, we were kind of doing gigs and going up and down the country. And in the end, we all became great friends, which is a marvellous story. I, th- I think it works very well because we were saying earlier, they're both roots music and the coolness of the reggae was a nice antidote to the fierce sort of thrashing of the punk rock. So it worked very well. And they worked, really, you know, in the clubs and the, the gigs, you know, you'd always get, you might get Don Letts or someone less famous playing reggae music in between the punk bands, which is, uh, I still like to do. So how did Babylon's Burning come about? Well, Six came up with a line. Well, oh, we, you'd learned the bass by this time. Uh, he says, yeah, actually not, because it was, it, I couldn't do a scale, so that was my closest I could get to a scale, and oh, I was just okay. used to go as a warming up, because I didn't really know a scale. But, <laughs> and, uh, and Paul Fox just went, and then Malcolm just sang, you know. So a lot of our stuff was, was written in a, in a squat in a New Cross Road, wasn't it? The air was thick with the smell of oppression The militant joined with angry procession The tension tight with the strain of repression The young black boiling hearts with aggression Jawa Fighting, fighting Jawa Too close frightening Militant action, hot heads came in uniform. Thunder and lightning in a violent form. Jawa, fighting, fighting, Jawa. A too close On the streets that day, the blood and the madness sent the blood on the streets that day. Yeah. 
Ja War, that's... Beep, there it is. <laughs> that's off the crack. That's right, that's the ruts in there. And uh, that's off of... Uh, well, that's off the crack. That's from 1979. And uh, I've got one more... Scratch that. I've got two more tracks to play for you from the ruts. This next one's off the uh, album Grin and Barrett. Demolition Dancing is the track, and then we're going to hear some words about the death of Malcolm, unfortunately. singer with the ruts died of a heroin overdose on july the 14th 1980 age 26 the band had split two weeks before if we'd, if we'd got i think if we'd got the phone call like two or three months before then maybe we would have like it wouldn't have been such a shock but like seeing as we saw him the last time and he was great you know he was just it was, like, it was, it was, shock, it was yeah. really great and it, like when we got the phone call i thought well you know my immediate reaction was like i hope because we hadn't, we'd split the band up, he hadn't done it, on, you know, and killed himself on purpose. Because there was no at the time, yeah. well, it, it was nothing at the time to say that it, what it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. All we got was a phone call saying that, you know. Being Lee Singer was a band, and because of our success, Malcolm had a certain amount of problems that we didn't have. 
because he's the lead singer, he gets a lot more of the attention, interviews. People always want to talk to him. Young girls always want to see him. And at the same time, in being married, it did cause a lot more conflict in his life, more than it did us three. And then his wife, Rocky, a very lovely lady, decided to leave, which left a big hole in his life. And uh, heroin is, unfortunately, is a thing that in some people fills that hole, which I think it did to him, unfortunately. Did, did Malcolm change as a person uh, after he developed this dependence? Radically, he changed a lot. He, from always used to be smiling, always used to be chatting, having a good time, and quiet. He went on the last tour and all the rest of the band would be the same and he'd be sitting at the front of the van not speaking to anyone. He'd totally, totally changed, withdrawn.
Never Surrender, Staring at the Rude Boys. That's The Ruts, the 1980 single. Also at the top there, Demolition Dancing off the album Grin and Barrett released uh, after Malcolm Owen's death. And the band split up uh, just two weeks prior to his passing. And uh, just a real, like I said before, a flash in the pan, but quite the impact on the music scene. Um, in 2006... It was found out, you know, discovered that Paul Fox, the guitar player, had terminal lung cancer, and the uh, remaining members of the group got back together. They reformed. They did a benefit show for Paul Fox, for his estate, for his family, to get some money after his passing, and then they uh, recruited Henry Rollins to fill in for Malcolm's vocal vocal part, and uh, it was a it was a smash hit. The show was a great turnout and a wonderful benefit for Paul Fox's family. And he did pass that year in 2006, sadly. Uh, but that's it for the uh, the ruts. Sorry to leave on such a sad note. Uh, but I'm going to get right into this next band, which were formed in uh, Derry in North Ireland in 1974. Original members, Fergal Sharkey, John and Damian O'Neill, Michael Bradley, and Bill Doherty. I uh, got a few words here from legendary DJ, the late great John Peel. A really good record, Will moved me to tears. Now, uh, as I say, the Cocteau Twins are particular favourites of mine. When I first played the new single, currently in the charts, on the radio, and if anybody was listening that night, they'll know that it was true. After, after it had finished playing, I actually had to whack myself in the chest to stop myself crying because uh, it had affected me that much. And it was the same when I heard, uh, like, my favourite record of all time. Of course, I always hate people who say, well, of course, my favourite record of all time. It's like my favourite number between 7 and 12. You know, but it's obviously a terribly stupid thing to say, but my favourite record of all time is uh, The Undertone's Teenage Kicks. And I was driving up to a match at Liverpool when I heard Peter Powell play that on the radio. And actually, I had to pull over to the side of the road. I just burst into floods of tears. And when I, when I can no longer be affected by records, like that, in a totally irrational way, because I don't think he should be able to explain it. Mm. Uh, when that happens, that'll be time for me to knock it on the head.
That's right. It's the Undertones, right in Ghost Town. Thanks, boys. Your visit is precious to me and the world. The 1978 single, Teenage Kicks. This one's from 79. I go to the dressing room where Paul Clark is talking to the undertones. Few people get the chance to come backstage and into the dressing room either before or after a concert but each week in Green Rock we'll be meeting the groups. Now we only have a couple of minutes so let's now meet the undertones. I want to start with you John O'Neill because you write most of the group's material. Uh, what inspires you to write the songs? Just experiences, people I know and that's all. Do they all come from Derry? What the people? The, the, the songs? I, I think we sit and write them in there, you know, just, just sit down with like an idea for a song, I do. But a lot of the groups that have come out of Northern Ireland sing political songs, the undertones uh, don't. Political, like, political songs, if they be good, they have to be subtle, and they're harder to do. Like if we ever if I come up with a song, I think political, like, but it has to be subtle. And you're recording a new album next month in Holland. Uh, how many tracks? Uh, well, we've only six done now. 
and we're still on our ten or so to do. But after that, and before Christmas, uh, Billy, you're coming back home to Derry, and uh -huh. you're doing a one-off concert. Oh, we're doing a one-off concert in Elton on the 22nd of December. And then early next year, you're also doing an Irish tour. <laughs> I've got a tour, I've got uh, six days in the north and five days in the south. A lot of people try to categorize... <laughs> a lot of people try to categorize the band, Fergal. They, they put you into slots. Mm -hmm. How do you react to that? In general, just don't like it. It's simple as that. It's just it makes people's job easier if they put a band in a pigeonhole. And Where do they put the undertones? Uh, well, lately they've been calling us a pop band. It's just gone through several phases. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. We call it a pop band. There's nothing wrong with it. Right, but it just makes their job easier. It's as simple as that. You know, instead of going in and trying to explain a band's music, right, they just go, oh, well, they're a pop band, and that's it. Where do you think you stand then? Nowhere. Right, we're just the undertones of the undertones. The Undertones off their self-titled 79 release, that's Jimmy Jimmy. And before that, you heard the 1979 single, Get Over You, and at the top from 78, Teenage Kicks, John Peel's favorite record of all time. That's right, we're going to keep it going with The Undertones. This is also off the self-titled, 
You're writing Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. stardom and the way it's presented to kids as a way out from working class life. We wanted to talk to you because when you first made it, people talked about the rags to riches story of the undertones. And throughout your career, you've shied away from all those trappings of stardom. You haven't let yourselves be set up as having a lifestyle that kids should aim for. Why is that? I think it's because we haven't got a lifestyle <laughs> that people should aim for. Not yet, anyway. We don't, we, we don't shy, away, shy away from it. Um, like when it comes to a simple basic thing as travelling between England and Ireland, we fly. It may happen to be the most expensive, but it's also the quickest and the easiest way to do it, so we do it. It's just the people haven't pinpointed it. Is that we don't obviously have swimming pools because it'd be bloody stupid living in Northern Ireland anyway, have a swimming pool. Couldn't he couldn't afford it and be it'd be a waste of complete not a waste of space. In the water. But um <laughs> it was like a rides direction story. At the very, very beginning. Definitely. It was like a band from nowhere who's only and there they were. But we personally don't shy away from it at all.
You've got my number, why don't you use it? From 79, that's the single from The Undertones. Also in there, off the self-titled LP, Here Comes the Summer. Getting into 1980 right now, the release was Hypnotized. That's the full-length album. My perfect cousin, you're right in Ghost Town. It's The Undertones. started off uh, in the band, did it ever occur to you uh, that being the undertones might be a way out of a dead-end job in Derry or being on the dole in Derry? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was a thought at one stage, but it was more an afterthought than sort of collectively getting together in John O'Neill's living room and saying, OK, we're going to get a route out of Derry, we'll make form a band and make loads of money. It is a way out, you know, it is one, so, to some degree. Yeah. You know, it's sort of getting away from a daily nine-to-five job. For how many bands is it an escape route? John, you've said it's an escape route. It's a cushy life, you know, compared to, to say, people I know love in Derry at the moment, you know. Oh, it's fairly, you know, we know sure. we're lucky. You know? But for, you've been in the business now, what, four or five years. Uh, how many bands do you know are really earning huge sums of money? Well, we're not, anyway. Not why enough a lot. Why is it that we don't... Why, why the undertones aren't worthy of being like, you know, the mainstream of British culture, as it were. 
Um, That's what we keep asking ourselves, and we mm. try to, we're trying to change all that. Well, you're doing it now. Go on. Uh, <laughs> the thing, like, we never, like, the way the way I seen it anyway was London being sort of with the reputation I had during the late sixties of being the fashion centre of the world and setting the pace for everybody else, and um, the undertones, like in general in the past two, three years, haven't exactly been trendsetters. Maybe as regards music, but not physically. Right. And um, yeah. I think people just couldn't really relate to it the way they can do, like, do Stormy and Mohican haircut. No, that's really... Uh, no, it's because it was, at, whenever we first started, the thing was anti-fashion, and there was a big thing in. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was like a deliberate thing. We yeah. did. And it was natural for us. We just yeah. felt we felt... No, tables have kind of turned now, mm. now if you can be more glamorous, like... like Groups like Duran Duran are getting really popular because mm. they're good looking. It's getting popular, it's getting like a ruler. They said ruler's kind of. Must have, the reason why we stayed the way we are too must have something to do with the fact that we sort of we still go back to Derry and stuff, you know. Yeah. And it sort of keeps her, you know, it's totally different from in London, you know, where you're seeing groups all the time or, and, and you're meeting pop stars all the time and things, you know. And there it's just, you're talking about the football and what bet you're putting on a weekend and stuff, you know. But I think That's the point, the real point that should be made is the fact that it's not is really as hip as people make it out to be. If we can sell out this place and if we've been able to exist through all the trends that have gone on in the past year, then it's not a big a deal really as the NME and the rest of the music papers make out of it. Yeah. That there are basically people there who just want to come and listen to they good music. They just want to listen to the music and yeah. be there and just see it. Yeah. Wednesday week, you also heard My Perfect Cousin, that's The Undertones, from the 1980 release Hypnotized. That's going to do it for those boys. Thanks, fellas. 
I appreciate your visit in Ghost Town today. <laughs> Getting right into these next, this next group, an English punk band formed in Hersham in 1976. One of the most successful punk bands in the UK, achieving five top 20 singles. I'm going to play them all for you today. Starting with this, right after this. I believe that our kids, well, three quarters of the kids in this country, go through that type of you know, situation. In, in the sense that they're all going, I don't know what I am, I don't know what I want to be, but whatever I want to be, leave me alone and let me do it. They're all moving down the same conveyor belt. They're all being subjected to, you do this, son. You come from there, son, so you have to do that. Like, if you come from a tower block in the East End, you are subject to overworking at the docks or so-and-so and so. No, you mustn't go out, no, you mustn't leave London and, and be someone else because that's wrong. You're not, you're not born to do that. No matter what we do and what we say in life, there's someone walking along going, good boy, good boy, like, you know. But at least we're trying. And that's the most important thing. It's like running a race, isn't it? Saturday night, he wants to be different. That's why he works in a factory from eight to five for Saturday night. Because it's, it's different than going plink, plonk, plink, plonk in a factory all day long. Most of these kids, you can say, oh, the label's sticking out. I know exactly where he come from, what he's about. What... And, that's, and that's, that's you, isn't it? I mean, Definitely, that, yeah. That is really, you're saying you. I mean, there's no bullshit. Yeah, there's no bullshit at all. Watch. But what, what happens is, because no one has trusted them, therefore, why should, it, why should they trust anybody else? Here's the 1977 release. It's Jimmy Percy and Sham 69. Nowhere to be, then they're going to do it even more. 
but she was determined and said, I'm going to build more youth clubs, more training centres, more sports grounds, more things for people, the kids to do. Then they say, hang about, someone trusts us for a change. Someone's given us something for a change. And they're going, is it worth it going around and smashing all these places up? I mean, she's trusting me, so why shouldn't I turn around and trust her? But when she says, I'm going to build more prisons and more balls tools, they're going to turn around and say, she don't trust us, so we don't trust her, so we're going to go carry on. Sham 69 from 1978 with Borstal Breakout, the single, and in their 77 single, I Don't Wanna, and some words from Jimmy Percy in there. Oh yeah, Sham 69 out of the UK. This is some punk rock, folks. All right, a few words from some Sham fans, or the Sham Army as they like to call themselves. I like to say Shamarmy. You're in Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. Thanks for hanging out. This is Radio Free Nashville. Oh, it's great. Well, if you yeah, go one of gigs, it's something different. Is you, you really get in the music, you have a good laugh. There's always someone there who wants to spoil it, really. Because you say, we're not skinheads, are we, really? You know, we, we just go along there, dress how we want to dress. But you always get someone down there that thinks they're a bit harder than you, bigger than you. And I want to show them different. Some people go to punch-ups, some people go to see the group. Yeah, a lot of people won't go just to see the group, like, because of the trouble starting there. You've got the image of trouble, haven't they? A lot of people stay away because they think, oh, Shane, that's where you get all the rowdies and skins. Well, they do. And they don't go, they don't go, they think, oh, I ain't going there, I'll get bashed. And it does happen. I mean, people just go there just to see the music, and the next thing you know, somebody's bashed them. Someone comes up to you and says, you don't just sit there and ignore it, do you? 
you've got to do something about it, I think, anyway. Yeah, you are. Well, the last well, well, you out, you've got to do something about it. If you're not, you look a bit stupid, yeah. don't you? Yeah, no, I didn't even worry with your back out or you don't, do you? It's all in the music, really. Postal breakout. It attracts him sort of people that have been in Postal, probably, and all that. None of you have been in Postal? No. no. Does <laughs> 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 anybody live in a sort of tower block or anything like that? No, it's different to me, that's pretty <laughs> Don't have to live in a tower block to go to Ballstall. people that you want to wrap up in a cardboard box and say, right, you go over there. We are the people that you want to lift the carpet up and sweep that under the carpet and leave that there. People that put in the dustbin. They don't want to know people that, that work in factories, that, that just go on a dole, that end up drinking meths or so-and-so. <laughs> Let's all enjoy. 
If the kids are united, that's Sham 69 from 78. Hope that didn't confuse there. Sham 69 from 1978, their single, If the Kids Are United. And also in there, Angels with Dirty Faces from the same year. I've got one more single for you from Sham 69, and then I'm going to close out the show. Be sure and stay tuned to RFN Weekend with Matt the Prod Man. I appreciate you hanging out with me in Ghost Town today. I'm Creepy Steve. We had some great guests, and it's been a good one. This is Hurry Up Harry from 78, Sham 69, carrying it out. I might have a minute left. I might play some uh, serious drinking in there afterwards. That's the name of a band, not the name of a habit. That's the name of both. What have you. All right, this is Creepy Steve signing off. Thanks for the visit. You're listening to Radio Free Nashville, WRFN LP Pasquo.